Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we give thanks for today, Lord. Lord, even as your word say, you have exalted your word even above any of your other names. And Lord, we pray, Lord, even as the word will be shared, Father, we ask for you to target our minds and our hearts. We want to be conformed into the image of your Son. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, I want to share with you on the priority and the preeminence of Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One of the greatest tragedies in our culture is the tragedy of immaturity. And this means you're stuck and not being where you're supposed to be. And signs of spiritual immaturity include being easily swayed by false doctrines, the inability to handle deep teachings, the giving in constantly to sinful desires, the lack of discernment, and always being a slave to the opinions of others. And God wants us to mature. We need to stay grounded even when the ground around us keeps moving, amen. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 33, there's a very interesting passage of Scripture. And what's happening here is that the Sadducees are trying to corner Jesus. And before this, a group of Herodians had tried to entangle Jesus, but they got entangled instead. What did they expect? If you try to trap the Son of God, he's going to turn things around. But um, the scripture says that Jesus just opened his mouth and he taught. And um, the, the, the scripture in the gospel said that when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. And I'm fascinated that a teaching could bring about such an emotion. And this is the same word used in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, after Jesus had finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount and the crowd were gathered, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes. And it's the same word used in Luke chapter 9, verse 43, when Jesus cast out a demon and everyone was astonished at the power of God. And we need, we need to be astonished at the word of God. Amen. We need to be astounded at his word as we are with his power. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. In other words, what Paul is saying is when he spoke, God backed up his words with signs and wonders. There's always a demonstration of power to conform to confirm the word that's been preached, amen? And what happens so often today is we have some people who are so well acquainted with the word of God. They know the doctrines well. They can smell heresy a mile away. And on the other hand, we have others who are so well acquainted with the power of God. They have experienced the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They have even encountered miracles daily in their lives. But my exhortation to you today is we need both the word and the spirit, amen? Because before God can restore the honor of his name, we need to rediscover the power of his word as well as the power of his spirit. Amen? And now what is the word? The word is the infallible word of God. It's supernatural in origin. It's eternal in duration. Amen? It's infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, and inspired in totality. And it's important because the only the Word of God and the Spirit of God can change a man until he becomes the very epistle of God. Paul says we are living epistles, amen? And every time when we encounter the Word of God, an unseen force of spiritual forces is at work. And let's, how, let's see how Christ himself treated scriptures. His view of scripture was the linchpin in which his entire life was based. Because Jesus was constantly saying, Grepatai, it means it is written all the time. Grepatai. And how does he deal with temptation in the desert? He keeps saying, it is written. 
How does he deal with the fact that people are coming to get him in Matthew chapter 26? And Peter is starting to get his sword out because he's like, oh, this is war, man. We're going to kill them. Do you remember the story? And, and Jesus said, Peter, stop. I could call for 12 legions of angels if I choose to. But if I do so, how else could the scriptures be fulfilled? Wait a minute. People are coming after him with chains, with knives, and he's thinking about the scripture exactly all the time. Christ dealt with all temptations and troubles with the Word of God. And if you read the Bible, you don't see anywhere that Jesus goes, approach the disciples and say, okay, this is my view on Scripture. This is, uh, this is, re- this is the reason why I love Scripture. He doesn't say that. Why? Because his, his view of Scripture is found clearly on every single page. And now when you're in the utmost pain, you cannot reflect well. Um, all you can do is act instinctively, right? When you're in the deepest pain, right? Whatever's in the depths of your heart comes out naturally. And when Christ had the cross on his back and he's walking towards Gogota and he sees the woman crying, what does he say in Luke chapter 23? He said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for it is written. And he quotes Hosea immediately. And when he's on the cross and he's dying, what does he say? He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's found in Psalms 22 verse 1. He's quoting scripture. That's Jesus' deepest instincts whenever he was in the worst pain. When he was not just facing death, but he was facing the wrath of his father. He was facing the deepest abyss of his father's wrath. And you can't do anything at a time like that, but cry from your gut. Cry from your instincts. And Christ faces every joy, he faces every conflict, he faces every danger, he faces every temptation, quoting the word of God. And that's why in the wilderness for 40 days, Satan could not find a foothold in him because his mind and his heart was so full, it was already saturated. You can't get more water in a sponge that's already filled, amen? And it was filled with the truth and the beauty of God. And when the enemy come with the glory of what he could give him, he would come with the, with the temptation of, if you do this, you can get everything you want without even touching pain. But Jesus knew what he was supposed to do because his mind was so saturated with the truth of his Father. Amen? And one of the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit is this, that when he comes, he will bring to remembrance all the things I have told you. The Holy Spirit is an amazing teacher. We've been learning about this for the past one month on the Holy Spirit. And he had this amazing ability to pull from the vast storehouse of knowledge to teach us. But you know what's the problem? The problem is our storehouses usually contain very little for him to work with. And I want to say that the Holy Spirit cannot help you recall what you have not read and meditated on. Saying that I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit doesn't negate your responsibility to be faithful to the scriptures. Amen? And that's why going deep into the word is such a critical part of growing up in the spirit to be mature. And Jesus was able to overcome Satan's temptation because he was full of scripture and he was full of the spirit. When he was tempted, he quoted Deuteronomy immediately. It was the right scripture for that moment. And we too need to be strong in both, not one without the other. And there are some who know the scriptures well, who can memorize the text very well. They have got the words stirred up in their minds, but they lack the fullness of the spirit. And they lack the power that's needed to draw from that word the right weapon. For the belt of truth, we all know this, is true from the scriptures, but the sword of the spirit is that which the spirit draws from it for that particular occasion for your battle. And we need to love the word and we need to be full of the spirit. 
Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of the Christian and we have a vivid illustration of the Word of God and its place in a believer's life. And if you thought that when you become a Christian that you're living the fight to get into peace and tranquility, Paul is trying to say, my friend, you got it all wrong because the Christian life is a fight the Christian is a soldier. The Christian is given armor. But the dif- difference between your old life and your new life is now you have resources. Now you have divine resources to fight. And being armed here with a Christian armor to fight against the enemy, it described for us in verse 12. And he gives, he lists out all these elements of armor because they are all basically defensive. You have the helmet to protect us, the breastplate to protect us, a shield to protect us. You have our feet covered with the preparation that will protect us. And finally, you come to an offensive weapon in verse 17, which is the sword of the Spirit. And in, it, in this text, okay, I want you to hear this, that the sword is the word makera in the Greek. And there's another word for sword, and it's the word romphia, which has reference to a large sword, a big sword about four feet long. But that's not the word used here. And makera is the word that's being used, and it's a dagger. It's, someone, uh, it's somewhere around about eight inches or so. It's a very short, precise weapon that has to be used in a very precise manner in order to deliver a fatal blow. So the word of God, first of all, is to be used with precision. It is the makera of the spirit, not the ramphia of the spirit, to be waved around randomly. And the sword has to be used with tremendous accuracy, tremendous care, and tremendous skill. And instead of the word logos, forward, he uses the Greek term rema, which basically means the spoken word for that specific moment. It seems like he's trying to emphasize here that you use the scripture with precision. You use uh, the specific portion of scripture like a small dagger that's thrust into a vital area with great dexterity, great precision. And it isn't the sense that I have the sword of the spirit just because I own a Bible. I could own about hundreds of Bibles. And you could not wield the sword of the Spirit unless you know how to use those specific statements of Scripture which apply at specific points of trials, of temptation, with precision. And a mature man will dip his fingers into the Word and know when to use it for different seasons of your life. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit and that's why we also need to be diligent students of the Word of God. Amen? That's why I quiet my soul when I approach my quiet time with the Lord, when I open up the scripture, I quiet my soul. And I also pray in the spirit. I do both. And when I'm getting through temptations and trials, I keep praying in the spirit at all times. Amen? About a few years ago, I I think I shared this in another survey, but a few years ago, I was in India uh, running a church camp. And that time we were quite excited uh, um, because we were supposed to do a church camp. They told us like 300 people will come. I was like, wow, this is so cool, man. But I went there, only 40 people. <laughs> but I, but we, we taught the Word of God. And um, after I taught, one of my team members rose up to, to share the Word of God. And we were all seated in front. And while he was sharing, right, um, there was a little boy. I think he's about six to seven years old. He became like really making a lot of noise, like really screaming. And I felt something unkosher in my spirit. I don't know whether you understand. I felt that this was not natural. This was not just a tantrum, but he was being oppressed by spirits. So I knew something was happening. But at the end of the service, um, a crowd gathered uh, in front of the boy. And because it was um, um, 
a church camp in that particular city. Um, the pastor invited pastors from the local churches to come, and they were very excited. They were like, cast, they tried to cast out the demon. They were shouting at the poor boy, screaming and shouting. And that time I was not even a pastor yet, but I felt so uncomfortable because this is a poor boy. And I, I just kept quiet. I said, okay. I mean, I, I'm a guest speaker. I'm not going to do anything. If you want to minister to this boy, go ahead. But they kept shouting and shouting and nothing was happening. And I just felt, okay, I turned to our local pastor. I said, can I just minister to the boy? And I brought him to one side, quiet, when no one else was looking with my, the rest of my team. And we went to minister to him. We are going to pray in the spirit under our breath. And the Lord began to review certain things. And we are going to cast out bit by bit and bit. And we, we realized that he was mute for a long time, okay, like because the demons plagued him and he could not speak for years uh, but, but while we were less, like casting out the different spirits I saw the countenance begin to change a bit and a bit he was getting freedom but I, I could feel that at the last moment like there was something happening that we could not find a breakthrough there was like one last hindrance before total um freedom, okay, before he could be totally set free. And I was like praying, God, please speak to me. What is it? What is it? And the Lord began to give me a word of knowledge from the scripture. He, he said to me, do you remember Psalm 16? I said, yes. I prayed this over my cell group. I prayed this over my family. I prayed this over the church. Even before we began to preach, I was like blessing uh, my, my entire team. I said, um, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. We love that, right? And the Holy Spirit beginning to speak to me and say, hey, but you read the entire chapter before. What's the preceding verse before this? And I began to remember in verse 4, it says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And I felt something in my spirit. I went to the, the, the father of the boy. I said, when the boy was young, did you, like, like, um, what's the word called? Did you not surrender? Did you... Dedicate, yes. Do you dedicate the poor boy to your idols? And, and, and uh, the father said, yes. Um, but actually, it was my dad who did it because I'm a Christian, but I could not stop him because he's the main head of the family. I said, um, the Lord spoke to me that you need to throw away your idols. You need, to, you need to throw your idols in your house right now. And, and I feel that the boy will have his freedom. He said, I can't do that. I really can't do that because it's not my house. It's my dad's house. And he, he looked so, so sorry. He said, he knew that freedom was there. And at the end of service, we went home and I felt, oh God, I was so, so down. Okay, I was like, oh God, this poor boy is going back to his own lifestyle. But the next morning, okay, our local pastor received a call from that man and he said that the word of God began to speak to him the entire night. And the next morning, immediately, he threw away the idols and the boy could speak for the first time. And I'm like, oh God, this, you're so good. But I really believe that at that point of time, the Lord revealed a portion of scripture for that particular moment and he brought healing and freedom but if you do not respond to the word of God you will always remain where you are amen amen Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's word A.W. Tozer said this and I want to say that the word exposes our motives too in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 to 13 it says for the word of God is living and active I love this sharper than any two-aged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, amazing, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And God takes his word literally, and he cuts deep into your heart. He lays you open, and you're flayed, as you were, right before God's eyes. And there's a reason why the writer to the Hebrew describes it as sharper than a two-aged sword. In other words, the Bible is like 
a surgeon's scalpel, all right, is able to cut through all of the outer layers, cut right to the very heart of your, to your core, because the Bible will cut through all of your external defenses and is able to penetrate your conscience. The, the Bible is able to show even your innermost thoughts that are being reviewed and known before the Lord. And the author uses a most interesting term in the Greek word, which is used among the soldiers, okay? Let me just give you an idea on how it was used. It's used to describe a criminal who had to leave his face and face the crowd as he was marched to his punishment. And uh, the way they did it was quite interesting. That a soldier would hold a dagger right at the chin with it barely piercing the skin, right? And the point of that was the dagger was to force the criminal to hold his head up high so he cannot hide his face, cannot put his face uh, uh, right down so that everyone could see him as he was paraded to his punishment. And sometimes when you see right now, when you see um, news uh, on, on TV, you see the peop- uh, criminals, after they come up from court, they try to hide their face, right? But in this instance, right, uh, in, a, in a Greek world, Greek, Greco-Roman world, they will put the, the small dagger up to the chin so that you're exposed. You can't hide from anyone. So in this context, they knew it very well. And in a very sense, he's saying that that's exactly what the Word of God does. It jams its pierce point right up under your chin, and it makes you face the truth of the Word. And it makes God able to see what's exactly in your heart. It reveals you totally to Him. And the Word is a reproval the word is a convictor of sin, and there are only two possibilities in this life, to be conformed to the image of his son or to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And of course, all of us faithful Christians here, we say we want the former, but be warned because the word is living and active. It will conform you by piercing you, amen? And yet in the piercing, it will render you whole before the Lord because the word of God is not a cadaver. It's not just stories of um, dead heroes of old. It's not just a book of principles that you use for your life. It's a living word. It's an active living word and it pierces your heart to reveal you, to conform you to the image of your son. Amen? It sieves, it analyzes, it reveals motives and thoughts and you have experienced that. Perhaps you have sat down, you read through the scripture and you read something about bitterness and you say, oh, I have such bitterness in my heart. Or you read something about unforgiveness and the word begins to reveal to you, oh, I have such unforgiveness and pride in my heart. And that's the work of the word of God. And yet there's no condemnation. There's hope. Because God does not just dismantle our false mindsets, but he reveals how we can be made whole. If all he does is just dismantle false worldviews right, and false mindset. We'll always be like, oh, everything cannot do. everything. <laughs> we are totally lost. But he does not just deconstruct, if I can use this word, but he reconstructs according to the kingdom of heaven. He gives us light and truth so we know how to go and we know where to go. Amen? So we can be transformed into his image. Amen? And next up, knowledge creates responsibility. Studying and meditating warrants a response because to know and not to do is to not know at all. And from cover to cover, we have read and studied that the moment you know God's truth, the moment light reaches your mind and your soul, the ball is in your court. You are responsible for putting it into action. And that's why Jesus said, so much has been given. That's why so much will be required. Because to listen and to pray, but not to take action, is unrighteousness. To listen and to pray and not to take action is unrighteousness. And one occasion, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And Jesus never denied that they had, but he rejected them nonetheless. He said, I never knew you, depart from me. What does that mean? 
Did he mean he did not know them cognitively? Actually, if I say that, that would be heresy. But Jesus is omniscient. He knew everything that's going on, but he was talking about relational knowledge. He said, I never knew you in a personal relationship. And a classic illustration of knowledge without application, without responsibility, is the scribes and the Pharisees. Because these religious people had the data all along. They had all the information regarding the birth of Christ. They knew the Messianic prophecies by heart. They knew the Torah. They knew everything. They had mastered the Old Testament, but they were never, ever mastered by the truth. They knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The wise man and Herod approached them and said, Hey, do you know where the Messiah would be born? Immediately they said, Ah, we know this. And they began to say, he will be born here, they will be born here. But nowhere in scripture do we see they make any move to search for the child that was born. They knew where he was born, but their knowledge created no responsibility in them. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom. Why not? Because all of their righteousness is external. They had hate knowledge. And James chapter 4 verse 17 says, if anyone then knows the, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is seen for them. It's not just you're walking in error. It's not just you're being weak. But the scripture says, you have sinned against the Lord. If you know what you should do, but you do not do it. But what if you come to a place where it doesn't make sense to us? In Luke chapter 5, verse 4 to 5, um, the scripture says, When Jesus had finished preaching, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your necks for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toyed all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And Simon Peter had absolutely no reason to do this. It was not, it was not logical at all. The, 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 the request or the command by Jesus make no sense, okay? He had absolutely no reason to do this. And sometimes the Lord will speak to us and require us to do things which baffles our mind. And the question is, how will we respond when that happens? If we ever say something, Jesus says in his word, I don't want to do that. That's not practical. It probably means you have never really obeyed him. You have allowed yourself to be advised by him. But Christ is not your advisor. He is your Lord. Amen? If you say yes to him and one particular moment of your life that makes you say yes to him in every area of your life and can we come to a place where we obey not because it's logical or convenient but we come to the place where we can say but at your word i will i just want to share a personal story then i got my permission from my mom to say this um many 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 years ago okay my my parents were going through a very tough time in their marriage and um and and you, you, could, you could sense, even when you're a teenager or you're in your like 19, 20, you could sense like your parents are always crawling and fighting. And I would be outside the door, and I think I was like young, and I would say, God, please Lord, do something about this, do something about this. And I would pray, Lord, send an angel to them, appear before them and say, you love one another. I keep praying this prayer over and over again, but nothing happened. Years go by, nothing happened. I see things didn't improve, and uh, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? And, and when I did not see things were happening, like something happened in my own heart. I began to get very cold, very hot. And something happened, I like icy cold, okay? I, like, I don't care anymore. Like, nothing's happening, I don't care. And uh, one day I remember very clearly, my parents sat me down and said, uh, Elijah, I want to share with you something. I said, hey, what's up? I tried to be cool, yes. <laughs> and they said, um, your, your mom and I, uh, we, we want to uh, separate. We're planning to have a divorce. And I did this, okay? I said... It's been a while. Yeah, okay. 
And I could see the pain in my parents' faces. It's like, wow, how did our son become so cold? Like, he was grieving, he was sorrowful, but now he's like, oh, go ahead. And I, I, and I was in that state for years, okay. But then I came to Cornerstone, and uh, I think my parents were like, why you come to Cornerstone? Go back to your private church. But I was in Cornerstone, and that one particular Sunday, I think it was about eight, I think it was about nine years ago, I remember I was seated way back. And Pastor Yang usually don't preach about marriage, okay? He preached about the sanctity of marriage, but he doesn't really preach about marriage, marriage, love it. <laughs> but at that moment, he preached about marriage, and, and I, I felt the word of the Lord came into my heart. And, um, and, and I felt that the, the, the words from Scripture that says, I hate divorce, was not just words on a page. It was not just a doctrinal commandment. It was not just a doctrinal truth. But when the word began to enter my heart, I felt the grief of the Lord, the sorrow of the Lord. Said, I love marriage and I hate divorce. And it stayed with me. And I didn't do anything about it. I went home, but I was in a bus. But the word germinate, the word took root, and I could not escape from that statement. I hate divorce, I hate divorce. And at that time, my parents had reconciled, and they're overseas, and I was like, oh God, what do you want me to do? And I felt the word, oh, into my heart over and over again. I could not sleep for one night. I could not sleep for the second night. So I could not help it. I, I texted my parents both individually. I said, parents, do you remember years ago when you told me this and, and I, I said, go ahead. I just want to tell you that I'm sorry, that I love you and, I, and I'm so glad that God has been consulted and, and, and I'm just sorry for doing that. And then my dad immediately called me and said, Cornerstone is good. Stay in Cornerstone. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I just feel that um, it might not make sense, okay? But when the Lord germinates, when the word germinates in your heart, it warrants a responsibility. Even if it's a small thing, amen? Just go ahead and obey. Amen? amen. Let me just give you an example from Haggai. Uh, context, okay? Haggai possessed great zeal for the Lord's temple. He wanted the people to complete the rebuilding right away. But many of the people there, many of the Judeans had become apathetic. They did not care about the temple as much as they cared about their own comfort and their homes. And God used Haggai to stir the people's hearts towards the house of God. And in Haggai chapter 1, I realized that Haggai gave a very difficult and not a very popular word. The people were busy looking after their own interests and not prioritizing the things of God. And Haggai told them, right now, consider your ways. But what's interesting was that after he preached, for about three and a half weeks, nothing happened. It almost seemed like the word of God fell to the ground. Nothing happened that we could see. But when we plant God's word in humans' hearts, it takes, it is alive and it germinates. And sometimes it takes time for things to happen, but the word of God will begin to take root. And I personally feel that it was good that it took some time and the response was not immediate. As a lot of Times I see that people respond immediately, often due to the emotion of the moment. But deep in the hearts of God's people, the word of Haggai was burning. And they considered deeply. And like Mary, they wondered and they treasured the things in their hearts. And by the word, by, I know that the word by Haggai was not easy. They had to stop building their own homes to build the house of the Lord. And grace had to touch their hearts to make such a sacrifice. And the message of Haggai went on working in the people's hearts. And three and a half weeks later, the political leader Zerubbabel came. Then the religious leader Joshua came. And finally, all of the people came. And what a revival it was in their hearts. They considered the cost. And they left aside their own homes. And they began to rebuild the house of the Lord. Amen? 
as we mature, we don't just respond with zeal, but we need to meditate deeply on what has been given. You need to fight for your own conviction and faith. Don't depend on the conviction of your leaders or your shepherds or your parents. Ponder deeply on what has been given. And some of you are shepherds, and sometimes you, you share something, you preach something, you give a word, and it seems like, ah, yeah, why they never respond immediately? Yeah? And you get discouraged. But it's okay. Every time when the word is given, it will take time, it will germinate into their hearts. And let me tell you that it will never be a waste. Amen? And I want to say um, towards the last part that when you start your year with your 365 journey or even in your devotions, even if your own, if your own reading plan, I want to encourage you to take a long-term view. I believe it's no secret that we are in an instant gratification culture. We want everything done now. We want all our answers now. And so often that filters in our time interacting with the scriptures. And, I want, and sometimes our mentality is, I want to give like about... 10 to 20 minutes of my focus to this, and I want to have a reward immediately. And we have a debit card mentality. We like, we expect our money immediately uh, to appear before our hands. And it comes to our devotion so often. And we just want to get through the day, right? And we choose what we read just for strength for that day. So I want to put in my 15 to 30 minutes. I stick my card in the machine. I withdraw what I need to get me to 6 p.m. or whatever time you end your day. But I just want to get my tank filled for the day. For example, for me, okay, I, I just love to meditate on scriptures that talk about wisdom and healing because it's helpful for my work, right? Every time I meet uh, uh, my, 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 my sheep or I meet follow-ups, I realize, oh God, give me scriptures about wisdom, <laughs> about healing, because I want to minister to them. But if all we do is just focus on these scriptures, then a large chunk of the word will remain untouched and you won't fall in love with the word made flesh. And you know, you can starve to death reading the manual. If you rush through the scripture or just have a surface level reading without meditation, it just presents us with a menu, the rich food available to those who drink deeply and meditate on it. And many believers, we just talk about the menu. We just, some of them even read it, but few actually feed from it. And I hope you will reframe your understanding of immersing in the word of God, not as a debit account, but as a savings account. It is a savings account in which we faithfully place deposits day after day, week after week, month after month. And even after your 30 minutes or so, after you read that particular portion of scripture and there's no emotional reward that's yielded to you at that time, and you put, maybe I put my deposits in and maybe I get to the end of Ecclesiastes and I go, oh, what just happened? Like, why did I read this portion of scripture? But I'm out of time, I need to go to work. But I say, Father, I trust you. I'm putting it into my account. And so you may not be able to garner the perfect understanding of that passage at that moment, but you can trust that the Lord will yield a return on your investment. And who knows, what if one year or five years down the road, when you're in the dark night of the soul, and that is when a passage finally becomes so clear and so personal to you. Do not see it as a debit account, but see it as a savings account. Amen? For years, I've always avoided reading Ecclesiastes. I found it quite confusing and depressing. I was thinking, how does it help me with my day? How does it help me with my work? How does it help me with my family? But recently, when my family was just going through something, and the Holy Spirit reminded me about what I've read faithfully about this book. I keep thinking, oh, if only we can avoid all of the pain. Uh, I think this year, um, I mean, 
last month in our New Year's Eve, uh, the cell came over to our house. It was a great time. We played games. Then we prayed. We had communion. Uh, we wanted to leave. I, we told them, please leave at 10 p.m. because we are very tired people. <laughs> but it was such a great time. Then they stayed after 12. And then uh, I remember at 12, 13, um, usually me and my wife, we will pray every night. At that time, it's our first prayer for the year. So um, we were about to pray. And, and my wife said this, okay. She said, can you just pray that um, no more suffering this year? I know that she was joking, but I could feel the, the pain in her voice because last year we, we were going through quite a fair bit. Uh, um, and I wanted, oh God, I just want to just bless her. I just want to listen to what you say. Just pray no suffering and then we can sleep and can rest and make her feel happy. But um, the Lord began to review something to me and right then the Lord began to remind me about what I read in my devotions on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And the entire chapter reviews a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck out what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. And the Lord revealed at that moment that this lease is not just things that randomly happens to us, but what God sovereignly allows to happen in our lives. And he said two things, everything has a season. And this fact is hard for many of us. And I too struggle with this greatly. And chapter 3 serves as a list of ingredients that God makes us together to serve His purposes in your life, in your allotted time, in your set boundary. And most of the time, we don't like this. We do not like not having control. To be honest, I'd rather treat this list like a buffet. I'll take some laughter. I'll take some building. I'll take time to die. No, thank you. Get away. A time to plant. A time to pluck out what is planted. A time to love. A time to hate. No hate, please. And then a time to, you know what? I prefer love. And the Holy Spirit began to, began to speak to me that we don't really get to choose our ingredients because this is not a buffet. And in hindsight, me and my wife, we are grateful to the Lord for this because if we are honest with ourselves, we don't have the right vantage point. If I could choose what I wanted, I'd take all the good and none of the bad, none of the things that hurt, none of the things that stretches me, and none of the things that brings about the refining fire of the Lord. Because we do not have the right vantage point and we only take the comfortable and the happy. But the truth is God loves us too much to let that happen. He loves us too much to allow us to be sovereign over our own lives. And just like there's a time and a season for everything, there's also a purpose. And all this was revealed to me by the Spirit at that moment because I've stored this faithfully in my internal savings accounts. When I trusted the Lord, when I was reading from Ecclesiastes for years, even when I did not have emotional uh, reward at that particular day when I was reading, but at the, at the time when we needed it most, the Lord began to reveal it, the sword of the Spirit begin to stir in my heart, begin to encourage me. And he brought so much encouragement when the Rema word came at 12.14 a.m. and reminded me of verse 11 when he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Amen? Can I say that uh, what if the passage you are meditating on right now is preparing you for a trial or just some kind of season that you might go through one year from now? Meditate faithfully now, trusting that nothing is ever wasted. Amen? In conclusion, Richard Baxter, the old Puritan, had this great statement that really spoke to me. And Baxter said that for some of us on the judgment day, our treasure is going to rise up and it's going to point a finger at us and it's going to say, you broke your back for us, you trudge and you trudge and you spend all of your time for us. Now we are rust and dust. You neglected the word of God in which true treasures are to be found. 
my question is, does the scripture have functional authority in your life, not just intellectual authority? Do you search the scripture? And most importantly, do you allow the scriptures to search your heart? Because we are not reading a cadaver of deep principles and heroes of old. We are living, we are reading a living word. And it speaks, it transforms, it reveals, it makes us whole for the glory of God. And you cannot get to know God by sentiment. You can only know Him by His word. And to the degree that we know the word of God, to the degree that we allow the spirit to form in our lives, the power of God will start to flow from our very lives. Amen. And I really believe that the days ahead of us will get darker and darker and tougher and we will be tested. We need to up the ante in warfare and, but we will be powerless unless we are so filled with the Spirit of God and we are so strong in the truth of God. We need to know what's true. And at, at all times, we can look at the enemy and say, Grepatai, it is written because it's richly stored into the depths of our hearts. Amen. Can we rise to our feet? This season, when you start your 365 or begin to be intentional about your reading I just want to encourage you just some practical steps have a savings account mentality don't just read oh I got my zoom meeting at 3pm whatever I read now it must help me if you find that oh this scripture does not help me then you're like oh I waste my time let me tell you nothing that you posture your heart to will always be a waste of time amen lift up your hands Father give thanks for this precious time Lord we give thanks for the gift of your word of God and Father, even as we believe that this year will be your breakthrough, Lord, I know that you're going to reconcile families. Lord, you're going to bring wholeness and healing. And Lord, I pray that every one of us here, we will be mature sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, we will face the storms of life, even when the ground keeps shaking, but we will be so rooted upon the Word. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you bless them. Lord, I pray every time when they posture the heart to approach you in your presence, they will have face-to-face encounters with the Word made flesh. Stir their hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray for such prolonged season of worship and prayer and tears, Lord. They will go to the deeper depths of such devotions with you. They will meet you where you are. And Lord, I know, I know for a fact that you desire to meet them. You desire to speak to them. And Lord, I pray you bless them. You touch their minds and their hearts. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you His supernatural shalom. May the blessings of God, the Father, the strength and grace of Christ the Son, may the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore and everybody say Amen let's give God a praise of you've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church please note that all unauthorized reproduction distribution or sale of the recording is prohibited for permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.